Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. And as a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your host for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Mary, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Helping Teachers and Educators Support Siblings of Children with Cancer. This is a collaborative effort between Super Sibs and Cancer Care, and we have over 30 other organizations participating on this program today. And because of that collaboration, we have, and because of our wonderful speakers, we have over 575 participants on the program today. And you come from all over the United States, from all different regions of the country, and from large and small cities and rural and frontier communities and suburban areas. And we also have participants from Canada, India, Kenya, Pakistan, and Vietnam. So we have international participants as well. I'd like to turn your attention to the materials that you received from Cancer Care. In those materials, there is an outline that our speakers have prepared, and there is a lot of resource information for you, all the different collaborating organizations that you will have access to, as well as information about Super Sibs and Cancer Care. There also is an evaluation form, and I would ask you to take a moment at the end of the program today and please complete that evaluation form. You know, your feedback is so critically important to us in planning future programs. Indeed, this program today was one that has been long recommended um, by participants on these programs, and we are just delighted to be able to meet your needs. So tell us what you'd like us to do, and we'll try very hard to, to implement your suggestions. Today's program is supported in part by Friends of Cancer Care, with additional support provided by SuperSIBS with funding from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today and uh, really just um, fantastic uh, faculty on our program today. And I want to start by introducing our first speaker, Melanie Goldish. And Melanie is the Executive Director of SuperSibs. And Melanie is really going to set the stage for the program today and really introduce some of the key issues that we're going to discuss. Melanie? Thank you, Carolyn. Hello, everyone. This workshop is so important because when a child is diagnosed with cancer, everyone in the family is affected, including the siblings. And each year, more than 18,000 new brothers and sisters are thrown into this frightening roller coaster journey as their sibling is diagnosed with cancer. We at SuperSibs, we call them the shadow survivors. These are the too often forgotten brothers and sisters who experience the emotional diagnosis of cancer. And while thankfully now many, many children survive cancer, these siblings still spend hours, days, and nights, often for years, at hospitals with their families or away from home. And we can never forget, they attend your schools. As the Executive Director of SuperSibs, I'm really humbled every day at the voices of thousands of vulnerable siblings in our program. These are the children and teens who have or have had a brother or sister with cancer. And here's what's so important to know so that we can solve this problem together to help siblings heal. Brothers and sisters are profoundly impacted by their brother or sister's cancer diagnosis. And this can show up in many ways, in their family functioning, in social relationships, with their own health and risky behavior choices, and in their ability to cope and manage at school. 
Research shows that 53% of siblings experience moderate to severe post-traumatic stress symptoms, and 27% qualify for a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. And the impact goes further, as many of these siblings experience grief, anxiety, depression, anger, or it can show up as aggression, regression, social challenges, and negative school performance. But here's the important thing and the importance of this call. That can be preventable or at least minimized. Research shows also that siblings with more social support indicate significantly fewer of those symptoms and behavior problems. So with appropriate support, these brothers and sisters can manage through the devastating life challenge with greater strength, less guilt, more hope, and even post-traumatic growth. And you, the educators and professionals, can help achieve this potential positive growth. I'm the mom of a two-time cancer survivor also, and the mom of a super sib for now over 11 years. And I know there's Firsthand, there's nothing as heartbreaking as trying to keep one child alive, spending days and nights in the hospital for months on end, year over year, while striving to keep our other children from spinning off into emotional orbit. It's a huge challenge to ensure that siblings continually know they're loved, they're understood, validated, and supported while they're at school, staying with friends or other relatives, and during extended times away from the family at the hospital. But there's good news. Siblings can learn inner strength, empathy, ability to manage through crisis, healthy behaviors, resilience, and much more. And school can be this safe haven for brothers and sisters. Schools can help support siblings by ensuring ongoing understanding, empathy, and important flexibility for the months and years during this child's family's battle against pediatric cancer. So today, the rest of my colleagues will also share their unique sibling journey experience. And at the end of the call, I'll come back on and remind you of some tools and resources to help you with sibling support at your school so that we can all together help ensure that siblings can survive cancer too. Thank you very much, Melanie, for so beautifully setting the stage for the program today. And our next speaker is Michelle Odie. Michelle is a young adult sibling, and she is a staff nurse, pediatric intensive care unit at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And Michelle is willing, is going to share with us her sibling voice and really some of the challenges of juggling school while on the sibling journey. Michelle? It's important for you to remember that each and every one of us is different. However, we share a common denominator, cancer. I will share with you today a part of my story. I do not expect it to become a mold in which you try to fit super sibs into, but shed some light in a dark area. There are many dimensions in my journey that occurred. However, I would like to talk to you about some physical and emotional aspects that I experienced. As teachers and professionals in the educational field, your first thought, I'm sure, is a physical manner. Many times I was shuffled around from person to person to try to attend school. There was no routine or normalcy in my day-to-day -day life. I often was shuttled quickly to the hospital after school or didn't attend at all. My mother always wanted me to spend the most time with my brother as possible. As you can imagine, homework often went unnoticed and unattended. There was never time to attend extracurricular activities. I became more and more removed from my friends at school. Most of the time, social isolation was complete. 
None of my peers could even dream of what I was going through. I felt alone. The only place which I felt somewhat normal was in the hospital. I used to be so happy when I arrived and exclaim, I love the smell of this place with joy. Maybe it was because the hospital was a place where my whole family was intact. Whatever the case may be, my home and comfort place came from a place of pain. Every year, my mother would write a letter explaining our lives to my teachers in hopes of trying to make school more tolerable. Many never showed notice. I will tell you, my second grade teacher was an amazing woman. Up into my fourth grade year, she provided more stability. My mom would drop me off at her house sometimes at 5 a.m. on her way to a doctor's appointment. Mrs. Mitchell would help with homework and take me with her to school. This woman is a perfect example for all educators. I lost my childhood and innocence very early in life. I was never worried about my hair or whether the most popular girl at school liked pink that day. I worried about my brother. He always called me his favorite nurse. I grew up, as I grew up, I protected him and was there for him when shots were given and painful procedures took place. In the back of my mind, I knew someday the cancer would win, and when he passed away, I continued to be the strong one in the family. I supported my mom and kept her going while my dad continued to work. We as siblings grow way beyond our years out of necessity. Our childhood is short-lived. We worry about death and sickness as children. I'm sure you all can imagine the strain that could place on any relationship with peers. In high school, my best friend was my biology teacher. I used to eat lunch in her room, and all my free periods were spent dissecting cats. I just didn't know how to function around petty teenagers. You never have to say, I know what you're going through. Sometimes that makes us angry, because how could you? Just offering your time and saying, I will be there with you every step of the way means more than meaningless words. Right now, I'd like to take the time to share some other Super Sips voices. I began to lag behind in school and in life, one of the casualties of cancer's war. I lost my confidence to excel. In a vicious spiral, getting an average grade not only further undermined my confidence, but also made me feel as if I had failed my brother who cared so much about his academics. Here's another voice of a super sip. The hospital was buzzing with action in between school, music lessons, and ailing grand grandfather and the health of my sister, I was dizzy with angst. As I sat down next to my sister, who was attached to ivy pumps and wrapped in warming blankets, I opened my textbook thinking I would get my homework finished. Trying to focus, I reread the first sentence repeatedly, but I did not comprehend one word. I turned to look at my sister and saw that her eyes were filled with tears as she tried to appear her bravest. I was overcome with regret and sorrow as I thought to myself, what am I doing? How could I have been so blind to disregard the sentiment of a person who is forced to endure this unimaginable battle and focus only on my worries? I reached over and grabbed my sister's hand, looked her in the eye, and benevolently said, I am here for you. Here's another quote. Many people threw aside their feelings for me because I wasn't in the hospital. Everyone at school always asked about Daniel and how he was doing. Even though I understood their intentions, I still felt hurt. People always asked about Daniel and his cancer and how my parents were dealing with the situation, and I felt like I didn't belong. 
people seemed to forget about me, and I tried to mask my feelings with fake smiles and laughter. Deep inside, I was slowly rotting. I felt insignificant and hated because I was the healthy child. I would like to conclude with these final remarks. You must understand we siblings are overlooked. I just wanted someone to pay attention to me or extra time spent with me. You as educators have the power to do this. You can make a difference in a child's life. You can shed some light into a cancer sibling's dark world by just showing you care. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Michelle, for sharing with us your experience and really so, so poignantly and also to help everybody else better help other siblings. Thank you. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Our next speaker is Joan Fedota, Dr. Joan Fedota. Dr. Fedota is Assistant Dean, National College of Education, National Lewis University. And Dr. Fedota is really going to address the siblings at school, uh, what to look for, um, signs to be aware of, academic, social, physical, emotional, and developmental, uh, school support for siblings, and resources. Dr. Fedota? Thank you, Carolyn. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, I wanted to tell you that uh, for 25 years, I have been a school social worker working primarily in preschool and elementary school programs. Um, I appreciate all of you coming on to this webinar this afternoon because of the importance of the school for not only the children who have been diagnosed with cancer, but for their siblings, very importantly. So I'd like to bring us um, to the school right now and place ourselves and think about ourselves being in a school. And we're going to take a few minutes to gain an understanding of what school is like for children whose siblings have been diagnosed with cancer. We'll start with a question, um, how would we know? How would we know as educators and support personnel, administrators, unless we've heard from, from the family, how might we know that children are dealing with a sibling um, who has been diagnosed? So I'd like to, to focus on two concepts to start. One is a very important concept that all children depend on predictability and consistency. Um, as a social worker, these are two concepts that I reinforce with parents um, at all times. And when we think about children going through elementary school, middle school, high school, um, they want to know what to expect. They want to know what's coming up ahead. Um, they want to know that going through these steps achieves this goal. Um, and they also depend on consistency. Um, they thrive on knowing what to expect, but also being able to depend on people um, to do what, what they've said that they're going to do um, and for the outcomes to occur. So in dealing with a, a cancer situation, like Melanie said, it is a crisis. Um, when I went through training, I was, I was taught that a crisis is an upset in a steady state. And think about that. A steady state is upset by something, and obviously a cancer diagnosis is going to upset that steady, steady state. So how would we know if a child is dealing with this? Well, the first thing I'd like to talk to you about is the changes that you might see. Um, it's really important to know the, ch the children in your school and who you interact with, and then watch for some of the changes. You might see a change in their behavior. Um, younger kids might be acting out more. They may seem hyperactive. Um, they also might seem lethargic to you. Older kids or middle school kids uh, might become more quiet or sullen or withdrawn. 
um, all kids could be irritable or crabby. Um, and if we don't look at, at what's lying beneath this, um, we don't understand that that's really a, um, an expression of their sadness. Uh, we watch for a change in their eating habits and their sleeping habits. And we look for signs of fatigue. If you have a child who suddenly seems more um, sleepy than they had before, more lethargic, it could be that they're dealing with something um, going on at home with their family. Uh, you'll, you might see a change, particularly a drop in their grades. So you might, if you're looking at a child's records from the year before, see that they did very well in school and all of a sudden there's a drop in their grades. Um, you may also see a regression to an earlier developmental stage. Younger children may regress back to thumb-sucking. Children could become more clingy. Um, we'll oftentimes hear the words immature. Uh, he's acting more immature than he had been before. Um, and this is a sign of regression. Um, you might see a change in their homework production and, and patterns of completion. You might see that some days the children have their homework, they bring it in just fine. Other days it's completely ignored. Um, and this could just, this can be an outcome of who was available at that point to work with the child on their homework, or were they at the hospital, or were they suddenly brought to somebody's house um, late in the evening, um, and so they didn't get to finish their homework. So you'll see, you'll happen to notice changes in the patterns there. You might see and um, notice inattentiveness or difficulty concentrating. Um, they're often um, thinking about, sometimes the kids will tell me that they're thinking about who's going to be picking them up from school that afternoon, um, who's driving them to the hospital, will they be staying overnight at somebody else's house, what should they wear the next day. They're really not concentrating on the math facts. Um, you'll see frequent somatic complaints, stomach aches, headaches, um, often frequent trips to the nurse. So um, it's important to note those things, and it's important to not make a judgment about them. Um, and we'll talk a little bit later on about how to approach a child and talk to a child um, about what they might be feeling. You also might see kids hanging back. Um, if you're in middle school or high school situation, um, you'll see kids who come to your office or your classroom more frequently. Um, they might be coming in before and after school. Um, at, in the elementary schools, you might see the kids hanging back when it's time to go to lunch or recess. They're often lingering behind, um, which means they want to they be near you. Um, it's you that's providing that anchor for them, and they're really letting, sending you that message um, that, that you're important to them. Look carefully at, at kids' drawings. Look carefully at their writing and their journaling. Um, sometimes the, the kids are sending us messages through the stories they're writing and the things that they're reflecting upon in other things that they're reading at school. Um, watch for anxiety. Uh, anxiety is often expressed with um, kids not really knowing what's bothering them. Something's bothering them, they just really can't put a handle on it. Um, that's, a, that's an expression of anxiety. Um, the signs of depression, again, in younger children often is, is more of an acting out kind of a behavior um, and more of a hyperactivity. Um, and in the older children, it might then you would see the signs of not being able to sleep, concentrate, um, sadness. Um, you also see signs of anger. Um, these, are all, these are all clues that, that the child is dealing with something. Um, and, and it's going to look different in elementary or middle school or high school. And the children will um, express concerns about schoolwork. They might be worried, they'll worry about their family. Um, these children will begin to uh, take on the, the worry of the medical bills and, and what that's going to mean for them. And you'll often see a, a, an increased feeling of um, isolation and feeling alone. 
and concern about how their friends and their, their peers are going to react to learning about the diagnosis. So given that, when you begin to understand or, or have heard from the child uh, that they're dealing with a medical diagnosis, or if you've heard from the family, uh, I'd like to talk about the things that you can do and we can do in schools for the students. Um, first of all, I think it's important to recognize that you yourself will probably have a personal response to learning about the diagnosis. It, it triggers a response in all of us. Um, and like Melanie said, it, it, it's important to know um, what, what kind of cancer um, the child has been diagnosed with, but it's also important for us to recognize our own feelings and things that we might um, be concerned about because we're going to bring that into that relationship with us. Um, and we might need support ourselves when working with a child and supporting a child um, because we are going to have our own feelings about how we feel about a child being so ill. Um, the first step, I would say, is to stay calm. Take a deep breath um, and, and build support for yourself and, build, and help build support for that child. Learn the type of cancer they've been um, diagnosed with. And when you're forming that relationship with the child around the cancer diagnosis and being a sibling, um, it's important to help them organize their lives and take control of what they can. Um, when we think back to an upset in a steady state, what are we upsetting? We're upsetting that predictability and that consistency. Um, so as school personnel, we can help the children begin to take some control over that. We can help build their calendars with them and even writing those things down. What are we going to predict in the future? What are we going to, what's coming up for us? Is there something special coming up at school? Are there projects that are due? And how are we going to build steps to get there um, that are flexible um, and, and um, prioritized within the needs of the family? Um, learn more about who might be involved in the child's care. Um, for younger children, do they have babysitters after school? Are there neighbors and grandparents? Or do they need to travel um, to other, other places to stay overnight and things? Um, help them find their own resources. Do they go to brownies with anybody else? Is that somebody they could drive them to brownies? Is there anyone on the Palm Squad who lives near them? Um, and who else might be able to help them with their homework? Um, in elementary school, they might have a neighbor or an aunt or another student from school. Um, in middle school, a, a study buddy is a really nice idea for them, somebody that they can call and say, what was it we were supposed to do on that? Um, relatives or other teachers. Um, high schools, uh, can, the students can turn to other classmates, the tutoring center, other teachers in the library. Um, transportation is just such a significant issue for the kids to be able to to be able to participate in any kind of extracurricular activities and helping them act as a resource for them would be critically important. Create a safe space in, with you and in your classroom. Um, be the place where they can come and talk um, and, and talk openly and honestly um, and help prioritize what's important and help them achieve success and monitor their progress. Um, you know, go through the homework with them, minimize what, what you can, um, and give them opportunities to complete homework um, and maybe even vary things that, are, that require more or less concentration, depending on what kind of things they'll be involved with after school. And in, in order to do that, you might want to create some flexible deadlines when projects are due um, and when they might be able to, to work on things um, more, um, with more dedicated time and help them find their words. Uh, little kids can oftentimes like to draw, older children like to journal, and really help them to begin to express 
their feelings about um, their journey as they go through this. And always let them know you're available. Um, be, be there for them. Um, be available to them. And we know in a school it's not realistic to say, I'm here anytime. You might have a full classroom of students that you can't um, leave behind. So important to let them know when they can talk to you. Um, I call it making an appointment, and it's not that formal. It's just if, you, if they do approach you, um, it's, and it's not a time that you can talk to them, it's important to let them know when you can. Um, and then absolutely stick to that and get back with them. Um, and most importantly, listen, listen, listen. Um, and don't feel you need to have the answers. Um, you can get you, just hearing the story, just listening to them. Um, you might, and something might hit you later, and it's, uh, it's okay to go back to them and say, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about when you told me this. Um, let's talk about that, or I had some ideas. Um, celebrate their, their successes, the things that they're doing, um, and remember that the, you know, this is the, they're the important person for you um, in that relationship and celebrate those successes. I would evaluate, I, I keep four things in mind. I keep to myself, halt. If a child is acting out, if a child is quiet, um, think to yourself, are they hungry? Are they angry? Are they lonely? Are they tired? Four very simple letters to help you remember, let's, you know, let's see what, what, what might be con of, of concern to the child today. Um, make sure there's food available. They might not feel like eating at the right times. Um, there's nothing wrong with eating your lunch at 10 o'clock in the morning when that's the time you want to eat. Um, so even simple things like keeping fruit and milk and crackers in your, in your um, classroom might be helpful if you can. Make sure that all the other people that the child interfaces with um, are aware of, of the cancer or the, the illness. Um, make sure coaches are aware. Um, can the student get to practice? Can they get to games? Can they get to competition? Um, and you might be the coach yourself, and, and you might be the one who knows about the diagnosis first. Um, and you need to know who you can go to to build in a support network um, for the student. So don't be surprised who the student opens up to. It might be the coach that learns of it first. Um, it might be the custodian. It might, it's not necessarily always the counselor or the social worker or the teacher. Um, it's oftentimes cafeteria ladies, the secretary, a classroom aide. Um, they will talk to somebody who they feel uh, connected to. I'd like to say a little bit about um, administration. Um, for any administrators that, that might be um, on the line, uh, find out what words the family's using and is prepared to use. Um, cancer is, is quite a loaded word, and people have a very strong reaction. We need to support the family and understand what the family has shared with one another, with their children, with their neighbors. Um, don't jump ahead of them. When they're ready, the parents will say the words. Um, and rely on your mental health staff to consult with the family about what they've told their children. Um, and oftentimes, the children have, have already figured things out before the parents um, tell them anything. But it's important that you maintain the privacy and the confidentiality while seeking permission to share um, news about the, about the children. Um, respect the family's wishes and their cultural practices. It's important to designate one central communicator for the family, one school contact person. Not everybody can take 10 phone calls in an afternoon, so it might be the social worker or a psychologist or the nurse 
work with that person because your role as a classroom teacher or assistant um, might be with the child. And so that way the other person can be calling home um, and, and find out from that parent how they like information to go back and forth. Is there a designated time or method that they like to, to communicate with the school? And help create a very easy communication pattern. What are the call-in procedures for your building? Who's allowed to pick up a child? Um, there's nothing worse than a family being in crisis and they send a neighbor to the school and the school doesn't have permission to release the child to that neighbor. So um, encourage the parents to list any possibility of someone who would be picking that child up from school. And always be cognizant of the stress the family's under, which makes um, what we consider very simple routines highly insignificant to them. Um, be prepared with alternative plans. Um, expect there's going to be tardies or missed homework and absences, and they might not even call in. Um, so notify your attendance office or school secretary that this family is in a, in a crisis and, um, and understand that it might mean not a phone call that morning. And this is not a family to call back with, oh, well, that means a detention if they didn't have their homework in or things like that. Um, work with the family to design what's going to be shared with the faculty, students, and the community. Um, I would model an approach of support. Um, people really do want to help, but you need to approach this in an, in an organized way and include the parents and the children in creating a plan. Um, what can we do? People want to know what they can do, um, and we don't, want to over, we don't want to overdo it, but we want to be there to support the family. And then I'd like to finish with some um, simple steps for what those, that support could look like. Um, first of all, the student might need some help formulating their words. For example, my sister has a very treatable form of cancer, or my brother takes very strong medicine, and that's why his hair fell out for now. Many families begin with a very private response to the diagnosis and want to maintain their privacy, so it's important that educators can share the concept of building a network of support by offering ideas. Importantly, if some information isn't shared, adults and children will often fill it in with speculation and rumors, which isn't so good. So by building a supportive network, we model good communication, caring, and the ability to be proactive. Think of the small things that can help make those connections. Can someone else help out with buying the fabric someone needs for their clothing construction class? Can someone else buy poster board, help with the candy sales, or the Halloween costumes? Um, is there somebody, you know, if you're a classroom teacher and Halloween's coming up and you're teaching in an elementary school, is that child going to have a costume? Um, think ahead, think ahead, think ahead. That's the planning. That's, that's providing that consistency and predictability for the children to know, hey, this is coming up, but I'm ready for it. Um, and it, it's important that we anticipate the tough times and we plan for them. Um, we have to anticipate what might Thanksgiving look like for this family. And what would Christmas look like? Um, are there anniversary dates coming up, the, the anniversary date of a diagnosis perhaps? Um, again, think about the predictability and the consistency. Cancer is not a predictable um, disease, so we need to be flexible, creative, understanding, and proactive. And finally, be prepared for the potential death of a sibling. Understand a child's grieving process and be a part of the network to help build the legacy for the child's sibling. And I'd like us to always remember one of Stephen Covey's seven habits. Seek first to understand, and then be understood. 
The school can be the stability in a child's world, and I'm so appreciative that we're all working together to build this strong network of support for these kids. Um, I want to thank all of you for participating um, and turn it back over to Carolyn. Thank you very much, Joan. Really just a very comprehensive and encyclopedic really presentation, really such um, helpful information for everybody on the call today and wonderful tips as well. Thank you. Um, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Our next speaker is Jordan Sonnenbleck. Jordan is a former teacher, and he is award-winning author of book called Sibling Story, Drums, Girls, and Dangerous Pie. And Jordan is going to really talk about, uh, continuing along the vein of uh, Dr. Fedota, really, that um, how teachers really and classmates can make a difference and what can be done to support siblings in the school setting. Jordan? Hi, everybody. Uh, first of all, let me make it very clear that I, I'm not the kind of amazing expert that, you, that you've just heard from. Um, you heard from... Uh, Melanie, who's this world-changing expert and a mom who's been through this. You heard from Michelle, who's, who's a sibling, uh, who, who's been through the absolute worst and turns it around into a career in nursing. Um, and you've heard from Joan, who's this amazing clinician who laid out for you all these amazing resources and things to think about and a whole structure for how to support a kid. And lastly, I'm not the kind of amazing educator who's out there on this call listening, uh, because you're all being incredibly proactive in even being dialed into this call, um, I was not as proactive as, as you all are uh, when I, I was presented as an eighth grade English teacher uh, with a student in my class who had a little brother with cancer and I knew nothing of it. And that's really the story I want to share with you. I taught eighth grade English and I had a student named Emily who walked into my class and um, she did not, <clears throat> how can I say this, she did not visibly grieve or be depressed or wear all black and be mopey. Um, what my student Emily did was she laughed all the time. Um, that was sort of the manifestation of her uh, tension was she just laughed all the time. And for the first several weeks of the school year, um, I would just kind of scold Emily and move seats and try to get her to stop laughing all the time. And then uh, in the office of the school where I taught, there was a chocolate box, a box of chocolate bars that was a fundraiser for something. I didn't even really know what. And I would go in there and slip a dollar into the slot in the top of the box of chocolates and open it up and take a chocolate bar. Um, and then one day my chocolate money got stuck in the slot. And I opened up that, that box to, to free up the money and get my desperately needed teacher chocolate snack. And when I did that, I read on the inside of the lid where the money was going. Um, and it turned out that that chocolate bar box was a fundraiser to raise money for the cancer treatment of Emily's little brother. Um, and that was how I found out what my student was going through, it was from the lid of a box of chocolate. Um, and her brother had been in treatment for years, and, and I just had no idea. So sometimes these things come at you out of the blue. And then all of a sudden I was looking at this kid who I thought was laughing all the time and I thought she's cheerful and happy and brave. Um, actually, before I knew her brother had been diagnosed, I just thought she was cheerful, happy, and torturing her English teacher by laughing all the time. Um, and then parent conferences rolled around and I was talking to my student's mom. And I said, I just want to tell you uh, from one parent to another, forget about English, language, arts, grades. I just want to tell you that I think your daughter is so magnificently brave in how she's handling her brother's illness. She's handling it so well. And Emily's mom just looked at me like I was an idiot and said, she's not handling her brother's illness well. She's hiding it well. 
Um, and I think that's the one thing I would like all of you to take away from what I'm saying. If the one thing you get is just this, um, <clears throat> don't assume anything about the mental state of, of a child cancer sibling. Um, if they're laughing and peaceful seeming and happy seeming, don't assume that everything's hunky-dory uh, because my student pretty much just put one over on me. I thought she's laughing all the time. She's fine. Uh, but really she just was, you know, laughing and jolly and hiding things and not opening up to anybody. Um, but then second of all, maybe a kid really is uh, handling things very well. So don't generalize in any way. The mistake I made was thinking, well, she's laughing. She's fine. Um, and once Emily's mom sent me to write, I said, okay, what if I could find your daughter a book to read that would help her open up about what her brother's going through? And Emily's mom said, please do that, and I couldn't find one. Um, so in casting about for how to support uh, this student of mine, I looked and looked in libraries and schools for a, a book to give her that would help her open up about what she was going through as a cancer sibling. And when I couldn't find one, I sat down and wrote one. Uh, and that's what my novel, Drums, Girls, and Dangerous Pie, uh, was about. It was published by Scholastic in 2005, um, which means that Emily is now a college student. And I'm really proud of her. She's going to be a, a teacher. She's uh, training to be a teacher, which I think is wonderful. But anyway, um, <clears throat> I, I wrote this book just as a response to what I saw this kid going through. I didn't know how else to support her. So again, by being on this call, you all have these very concrete things you can do. Uh, one other thing I want to tell you when I, that shows you something about the amazing strength and resilience of these kids and their families and, and the beautiful things they teach the people around them. Uh, one is that um, my final exam was, was a take-home test for my eighth grade honors English class that Emily was in. And they knew the kids knew if they come in with no take-home test, they they can't pass the class. They automatically fail. I had never had a kid come in with no test before. And when I wrote Drums, Girls, and Dangerous Pie, I was afraid I had made the main character, Stephen, too brave and too heroic and that it was unrealistic and no real kid would be that nice to their brother or sister. Um, and so I, I wrote this book, and right after I finished it uh, was final exam time. And Emily came in with, with no test. And I took her out in the hallway and I said, uh, Em, this isn't like you. What happened? How come you don't have a final exam? And she said, well, my brother had to go to Children's Hospital last night uh, for a blood transfusion. And he asked me to come hold his hand. And that was when I knew that Shakespeare couldn't have written a character as brave and amazing and complicated as my student Emily was. Um, and that I didn't have to worry about whether my main character was, was, was too brave. Uh, the issue was that I could never make him as amazingly brave and strong as my real student Emily was um, and is. The other thing I would tell you about support is <clears throat> I was worried in the book. I have uh, – there's a fundraising concert to raise money for the family, and the whole town participates. And I was afraid that would be unrealistic. And then I saw the amazing things that, that – how the town rallied around my student and her family. Um, through her brother's diagnosis and through his treatment. Um, and ultimately, uh, Emily lost her brother, but the town rallied magnificently um, through the grieving process and beyond. I mean, people just surrounded this family with, with caring, and that was an important thing, too. These people really inspired the people around them. This was an amazing, inspiring family, um, and the people around them really stepped up. And if there is any kind of civil, silver lining to any of this, it's, it's that... Um, these kids can really be a model for the people around them and how to be brave and, and how much your bravery can change 
the world and the people around you. Uh, as an example, I talked to a group of boys maybe four years after Emily lost her brother, and they were the same age that he was. Um, and four years after Emily lost her brother, their basketball team uh, was still together, all of the same kids who had played with Emily's brother, um, and they won the state championship um, and dedicated the, their trophy to the memory of, of Emily's brother. I mean, so these, these kids really have continued to maintain a sense of identity around the support that they gave and, and the growth that they had as a result of knowing this amazing family. Um, so I guess in that sense, please consider knowing one of these kids to be an opportunity um, to step up and surround them with, with warmth and caring, and, and that hopefully then growth will happen with you and for you too. Um, another thing I wanted to tell you <clears throat> is that my growth is still continuing because of Emily. Uh, she propelled me accidentally out of the classroom and into a career as a writer. Uh, the sequel to Drums, Girls, and Dangerous Pie, which is called After Ever After, is coming out in February, um, and it's about the journey of a cancer survivor um, after treatment and in school. And the reason I wrote that is because a social worker reached out to me and said, you're not done telling this family's story. You need to write a book about late effects and what happens after cancer treatment. Um, so really, meeting this girl sent me on a huge journey, which is beside the point. The, the more important part um, is how you can be a, a helper and, and a nurturer and a supporter of, of these kids on their very difficult journey. Okay, I think that's everything I have. Well, thank you very much, Jordan, and really excellent and, and very inspirational for everybody on the call to realize all the creative opportunities to, to be helpful and to help. And thank you, and thank you for your tips as well. Um, our next speaker is Julia Little. Julia is an oncology social worker, and she's project coordinator for Cancer Care for Kids at Cancer Care, and I'm going to turn the program over to, uh, to Julia. Thanks so much, Carolyn. Well, it's wonderful that the needs of siblings of children with cancer are being acknowledged in this workshop. It's important to keep in mind when a child is diagnosed with cancer, the whole family is affected, particularly the siblings. It's often hard for siblings to keep up with expectations at home and school when the health of their brother or sister is in question. They need to be assured that it's okay to have feelings about the changes in their lives and that they are not forgotten just because their brother or sister has cancer. They need access to support that is defined, tailored, and structured just for them. They also should be included in the efforts to help and creatively support their brother or sister with cancer. Sometimes it can be hard for parents and educators to know when a child needs help and what to do. Cancer Care's professional oncology social workers offer individual counseling, family counseling, and support groups to help families cope. We also offer consultation to the community. For siblings, our therapeutic playrooms offer a chance to talk, play, and just be a kid as they too struggle with the challenges facing the family. Teens can benefit so much from an online group that lets them connect with their peers around the country who also have a brother or sister diagnosed with cancer. Currently, Cancer Care for Kids offers social work moderated support groups online and on the telephone for parents of a child with cancer and online support groups for teens. All of our help, counseling, education workshops, and referrals are free for all families. We offer financial assistance for families and people living with cancer. For more information and to use our services, please contact us by phone at 
H-O-P-E, or online at cancercare.org. Thanks so much, Carolyn, for this opportunity. Well, thank you very much, Julia, just for wonderfully describing the services that people can access from Cancer Care. And now we have time for questions. We actually have lots of time for questions. I'm going to ask Mary to come up and explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. I'm going to also ask her to bring all of our speakers on board, open all of their lines so that they're all, we're all ready to take your questions. Mary? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star than one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, may press the pound key. Begin to ask a question. Please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. One moment, please. And while we're waiting for our first question, there's a question that um, had come to us um, uh, online from one of the registrants. Um, and the question was, um, who do I talk to at my daughter's school if I notice that she is having problems due to all that is happening in our home with my son's cancer? So that, um, Joan, I wonder if you could address that. I would be happy to. Um, most schools have either a school social worker, a school counselor, or um, a school psychologist. And any of those individuals would be, is, is well trained to um, offer resources and support, whether the supports at school, um, or there are a number of agencies, and obviously to um, the, the agencies with, with this group today, the Cancer Care and SuperSibs. Um, but the first step is, is contacting the school and asking to speak to one of the mental health professionals, and they would be very happy to help um, answer questions and then talk about um, an appropriate referral, whether it's in school or outside of school. But that's a great question, and please do re reach out to the school. We're, we're with the kids all day. That'd be great. Thank you very much. And our next question, Mary. Our next question comes from Cynthia B. Um, hi. <clears throat> My question is, um, do you ever recommend that a child take a day, a sibling take a day of R&R? &R? Um, and whether you have heard of other children doing this and whether you have found that it's helpful. Melanie, could you address that question? Well, I have to be honest, I haven't heard of that, but I think it's absolutely fabulous that you asked because, um, as you heard both from the research as well as the stories, there's so much tremendous anxiety and stress and exhaustion that um, if that is offered by, whether it's yourself as the teacher or in agreement with the rest of the school and discussed with the parents, what would be nice is to speak with the parents to say, if, we, if we're able together schedule this day of R&R, is there a way that you you as one or both of the parents can take some child, time with that child. Um, let's find a day where it would be good together for that child to be off and, and perhaps spend some time with you, the parents, which is really what those siblings want so much as well. It's a lovely suggestion and hopefully can be worked out together with the family. Great, great audience. Thank you. Our next question. Our next question comes from Susan C. Oh, hi. Thank you. Um, I actually have two questions. Uh, one is, as an educator, middle school teacher, how do I get the parents to inform us of uh, the problem in the family, the, the illness? Because I've found out so many times afterwards when it would have made so much more of a difference to hear it ahead of time. And the other one is, are some of these suggestions pertinent to college-age uh, siblings? I have a daughter with cancer, and her, my son is a uh, sophomore in college. And are there different things I should be doing? Oh, excellent questions. Thank you, Susan. Joan, could you address those? 
I would be happy to. Um, one of the things that's important for schools to do is to send frequently re frequent reminders to families um, that it's important for us to know at school um, any kind of changes that a child um, might be met with. And I make this, at school, I make this very, um, I minimalize this in the sense that I, I might say to them, um, let us know if your work schedule changes. Let us know if you'll be traveling. Um, because even really good things that, that happen, if um, people are going on a long-awaited, I don't know, vacation, we'll tell that to parents to please let the school know. And, because, and we, we let them know that that's a change for the child's routine um, and that we, it's important for us to know what the routine should be um, so that we can support that. And that usually opens up, uh, and by doing that frequently, we'll put things in the school newsletter, we'll do that at orientation, we put it in the, the student handbook. We make it very non-threatening, um, but encourage. I, I told people, even if you're renovating your house, let us know, because that means maybe they don't have the desk that they usually have. And that usually opens up a safety valve um, so that people feel comfortable then um, sharing other kinds of information that they, and I'll and I'll even put things in like that or if, if grandma you know if, if an older relative has come to live with you or if somebody in the house is sick uh, you know I'll include this whole myriad of, of things from positive to really um, very discouraging news um, so that they feel comfortable um, letting us know um, and and certainly for college students um, it, it's it's also critically important um, that that we know that they they're going through a huge life change there because their whole support network is is different so it's important to help them and make sure that they've got a support network at school or ties back to home um, it's important for the if the, if the student is living in um, school housing like a dorm situation we do encourage that the RA knows about it um, and, and that's done with the with the children you know um, with the children themselves helping them to know who their support network is um, so that they know who, who they can reach out to because we want to make sure that that support continues on um, in college that that's a that's a very good question Excellent. thank you and another question that came from one of our online uh, registrants was um, how do I help my child with his homework if his dad is still at work and I'm at the hospital with my other son. Joan, do you want to talk about anything? I would be happy to take that. Um, I think knowing the child's age is important, um, and there's, there's a couple things you can do. Um, some parents, it becomes a bonding experience. If, it, if it's something that, that is available, if the parent is available at um, the hospital, I've seen um, People send things back and forth um, via an attachment to the email. If it's if it's a junior high student and they wanted to write something and have their mom look at it and edit it, um, they've sent it back and forth. Sometimes they've done things over the phone. Um, and if that's not a possibility, and, then, and that can be a bonding experience, um, if that's not a possibility, the the increased support network around the child's neighborhood, whether it's neighbors, study buddies. Um, opportunities after school, if the school has any kind of homework clubs and things like that, very, um, those are all really important networks for the children um, to be able to do that with somebody. And because it is so draining to come home after a long day and try to start these things at 9 or 10 at, at night, is, it's very difficult. Um, and so building in something that's a, a good time for them, um, and being creative with some of those opportunities is important. But again, looking, reaching out to your neighborhood and not being afraid to say, you know, you had mentioned if there was anything you can do. <laughs> um, help with math, math facts is an issue right now. And, and don't be afraid to reach out to those people because they do want to help. 
And I have another question I'm going to have all of our speakers address. I'm going to ask Jordan to start, then I'm going to ask everybody to address it. Um, what kind of support would be most important for my son's teacher? So what can my son's teacher do that would be most helpful to him? Jordan, do you want to start? Okay. Um, I would say the most important thing was already said by someone in the call. I can't remember who, but it was um, they asked how they themselves are doing. Don't always say, how's your brother, how's your sister. Um, to just make sure you check in and ask that that student of yours how they themselves are doing. Excellent. Thank you. Julia? Well, I, I like what Jordan just said, and I think school is a great opportunity for a sibling to feel like an individual, not just Mark's brother and sister. Um, and so, yeah, just, just treat the child. You know, it's great to check in and see how the child is doing and, and smile at them and show kindness and also treat them like a regular kid a little bit and let them, let them just be themselves. And Melody? A couple things I'd say, encourage uh, journaling or artwork or other expression. You heard that early on. That's a wonderful outlet that siblings tell us all the time when they were, with, when they were offered that safe and supported opportunity to express themselves creatively. It was a big part of their healing. And then lastly, um, for me, I would say look for opportunities to give flexibility to schoolwork or extracurricular activities and to see how you can be helping with that. Joan? I think the, the active listening is a critical um, issue, too. And I think there's, it's important for, for adults to remember, to, especially how, given the child's age, active listening is really eye-to-eye. Um, and being, like, so when you're working with really little kids, being at their eye level. Um, and, and I also always encourage people to use a 45-degree angle. It's very non-threatening, and, and, and it lets the kids know you're there. You know, so just to be able to sometimes just to have a, a quiet moment to sit down and, and plop down and just what's happening, <laughs> you know, and, and open-ended questions like that doesn't, you know, the child could tell you anything. Um, it might be something on the soccer field yesterday, and that's what you want um, to come from them. That would be awesome. Excellent. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, thank you all very much. And I now would like to invite um, Melanie uh, to rejoin us, Melanie um, Goldish, with uh, Executive Director of SuperCivs, to rejoin us and really to kind of conclude the call with some tips um, for communication, um, some quotes, and some, uh, some of her own special um, information that I think would be very helpful to all of you on the call. Melanie? Uh, thank you. I just want to uh, once again thank all the educators, the professionals in the schools, as well as the, the broader community who are also participating on today's call. And maybe many of you were surprised to hear the depth of complexity of this subject, that when a child is diagnosed with cancer, there can be a profound impact and that these siblings uh, need healing, too. And while a high percentage now, thankfully, of patients, childhood patients, do survive cancer, whether or not that uh, patient does survive, this journey impacts siblings for years during and long after their siblings' cancer treatment. And while there's only so much we could get through in today's brief workshop, I, I think you heard some wonderful, very practical tips and concepts that you can use right away. So I just want to maybe reiterate a couple. Um, we can't say this often enough, be there. Be there for the sibling discreetly and on an ongoing basis. There's nothing that's more sad for us to hear than for siblings who tell us, you know what, my friends were really supportive at the beginning, but after the first year or year and a half, they said, you know what, get over it already. 
and they were really left on their own. You and your school can provide that continuity and ongoing support. To always ask, as Jordan said, how are you doing? How's soccer going? Are you getting ready for the prom? How are things going with your scholarship applications? Ask how they are doing, not to always be the conduit of the cancer diagnosis and treatment of their brother or sister. And keep in mind that there are resources for you to reach out to know what to do yourselves as educators as well as directly for the siblings and their families. So one for you to be aware of is that SuperSibs, we're a national nonprofit organization that provides ongoing support to siblings of children with cancer between the ages of 4 through 18. And one of those elements is a scholarship program for high school seniors who are a sibling of a child who has or has had cancer. Um, that scholarship program will open up on November 15th for applications, and there'll be this year 15 $1,000 scholarships awarded. We have an amazing community of scholars now all across the country that are truly making a difference in the world as role models, like Michelle Odie is on this call today. Another resource is to read and use in your school classrooms this award-winning book by Jordan Sonnenblock, Drums, Girls, and Dangerous Pie. Not only professionally is it an excellent tool for your classrooms if you're faced with a pediatric cancer diagnosis in your school, it's a fabulous read. So personally and professionally, you as the leaders, as the teachers and educators, but also your students and your families, I think will have a tremendously different insight. Also, we do send this book to the teen and tween and parents of our siblings and parents of children with cancer in our program at SuperSibs, but it's um, definitely recommended reading for schools. Thankfully, all now around the world, it's an excellent tool to deal with this issue and to understand it in a completely different way, drums, girls, and dangerous pie. And as you heard earlier, access cancer care support and refer families to SuperSibs for our free ongoing sibling care and the comfort and care materials and mailings that we send to siblings year over year so that they know they are heard, they're valid in their feelings, and that they're not alone. I also want to make you aware of free sibling resource support online for educators at supersibs.org, that's S-U-P-E-R-S-I-B-S dot O-R-G, and there's a section called For You. If you click on that For You link, there's a link on the side that says For Educators, and there you'll find forms that you can use to talk to siblings about what's happening. You'll read quotes, these sibling voices about how educators hinder or help in their healing, research tips, and resources to download and use for free anytime at school. I just want to close with a, a quote from a sibling, which you heard in different ways on this call. And this teenager said to us, you know what, it's really hard to go to school and pretend that things are fine and normal. So we hope you remember that siblings do need to feel heard, be supported, feel validated, and to know that they're not alone, not only at the beginning, but for months and years beyond. And if we weave that sibling support into the school setting, like privately asking how they're doing or offering this flexibility with, or support with homework, creating a classroom of understanding and caring, then we can ensure that these siblings will not be left in the shadows any longer, and we can preempt an otherwise lifelong devastating impact. So I hope you remember, and we're so grateful that you've recognized by being on this call, 
together we can help our SuperSibs children, these siblings, brothers and sisters of kids with cancer, to face the future with strength, courage, and hope, and really best ensure total family healing. Thank you. Well, thank you, Melanie, and I want to thank all of our speakers, just wonderful speakers today. I want to thank all of you who have participated on the program today. Most importantly, please remember that you are not alone, that you now have access to a community of support from SuperCivs and Cancer Care. I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day.